This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Over the next half hour, we've got the very latest on all sports at USF. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. Still got some good audio clips to play for you as I've been talking about how a lot of this summer, and man, do I need the whole time to do it. I've been spending reorganizing our audio archives, so much sound strewn about, not only in various folders, but on my laptop, and the early years weren't exactly labeled properly. We just kind of got things done, (laughs) and boy, there were some highlights from those early years, and some old clips, honestly, that I found, speaking of strewn about, that I'd forgotten that I had that will drop in for you, and some clips from this past season that made the American Athletic Conference's top 16 plays of the year. When we get to Around the American, we will talk about the entire bracket. I think it's a great idea, but two Bulls plays made it, and you'll hear my calls on both of those plays. Someone who has made a lot of plays in softball and, of course, on the men's side is an All-American got the ultimate honor for USF as we lead off with that story. Georgina Korik and Romaine Beckford are your student athletes of the year. And this is in conjunction with the Sports Club of Tampa Bay, which also honored Jose Fernandez and Allison Jolly, among others, into its new Hall of Fame on June 8th. I guess the reason they couldn't announce the student athletes of the year on June 8th is because a couple were still going. And actually, Romaine Beckford at that time had not earned All-American status. So once the season was over, he was a pretty clear choice, you know, if you think about it. The football team had exciting moments, but Student Athlete of the Year honors. I mean, Jaron Mangum, I guess, would have been a candidate for that. And even though there's a lot of talent on teams like men's basketball and baseball and soccer as well, there was no one that turned in what Romain Beckford of track and field did. He was the conference champ in both the high jump indoor and outdoor track meets. At the indoor track meet, set a school record with his jump as far as that went, and then got to the final meet of the year, the NCAA Finals in Oregon, where he ended up doing better than anybody on the Bulls, finishing 13th in the country. Of course, Georgina Korik could spend a lot of time on what she did. She was the NFCA Division I Pitcher of the Year, a top three finalist for College Player of the Year. Of course, Josh Lanalo won it from Oklahoma. She ended up going 37-5 and with a .51 ERA, 418 strikeouts. She led the country in all three categories, wins, ERA, and strikeouts the obvious choice, and of course an All-American for USF Female Student Athlete of the Year. And just an update on her professional career starting off in that Athletes Unlimited, the AUX softball tournament, she ended up leading the league in strikeouts as a rookie and had 10 in one game last week. If you had to go usfbulls.com, it shows you the previous year's honorees. They've been doing this for a half dozen years now. Corrick and Albin Bergstrom, who certainly was a candidate of men's golf, were last year's honorees. So Corrick takes it two years in a row. If you're wondering why not three in a row, well, Evelyn Vienne, the school's all-time leader in goals in women's soccer, also, remember, got them to the Sweet 16 for the first time in school history, claimed the one prior to that. And guess what? The one prior to that, as far as female student-athlete goes, I'll be talking to on Friday. Kedia Loxa from Women's Basketball will be our second victim. <laughs> I say that half sarcastically because you never know what's going to happen on Instagram Live, especially since I'm very unfamiliar with Instagram. But for just a few minutes, 
every couple of weeks or so and put in charge of the women's basketball Instagram page so that we can interview a former student athlete live. Andrea Smith was the last guest on Instagram live. So make sure if you're not on Instagram, change that, get on it and follow USF women's basketball. That's USF WBB. And know that on Friday at 10 o'clock, yours truly will be going live. Jump on then. Forgive if the first couple of minutes are rough. That's as we wait for Kitty Aloxa to join. And then we'll get on with her and ask her some questions. You can hit me up on Twitter at Derek Sharp, D-A-R-E-K Sharp. If you think of some questions you want me to pass along towards Kitty, I better look forward to catching up to her. Speaking of women's basketball, they put out a nice video on Twitter yesterday of some of the work that are getting done. A little bit on the court, but a lot in the weight room. So if you want the visual, and I retweeted it at Derek Sharp. Nice to see a little bit of an in-action look at the two newcomers, the transfers, that is. Sam Puisis, along with Priscilla Williams, who we recently interviewed on the show. And you can check the Unlimited Unloaded SoundCloud page for those interviews. But also visual proof of what I said, that Bella Weary just looks like a bigger, bulked-up young lady. Also, Dulcie Fangamengiadu getting up some weights, and Ariel Wilson working out as well. I actually saw Bryce Karasiak, who's back as the strength and conditioning coach, along with some of the assistants as they were hosting a camp, a big-time camp over the weekend, and Bryce is ready to get the uh, European incomers into the weight room because they get here a little bit later than everybody else, and well, they'll get to work, put it that way. But yeah, check out that video if you want to. Oh, speaking of internationals, our own Russ Chiwa, the center for Brian Gregory's team, has gotten a big-time honor. He is now a member of Team Cameroon. He was born in Cameroon, ended up playing his prep ball overseas anyway in Italy before coming to the States. Started off at Texas Tech and now will be entering his third season with the Bulls. Before we tell you more about what to look out for, we said we'd have some moments for you. Got to play this when we're talking about Russ Chiwa. Jameer Chaplin, three seconds to go on the far sideline. Looks to throw it in. Still looking. Finds Corey Walker, wide open. He passes inside to Chiwa. Jump hook, right hand. Good! Good! The Bulls just stunned Cincinnati. A broken play. And USF gets a jump hook from Russell Chiwa. They're going to take another look at it. But I had a front row seat, baby. And I think that one counted. Yeah, of course it did. And we hope that he is playing for Cameroon in the World Cup. 32 countries make the World Cup, which will unfold next year, hosted by Japan, the Philippines, and Indonesia. So those countries have already qualified. Yes, the United States is part of this. Going to have a dozen teams or so from Europe. And you're going to have five from Africa. And Russ Chiwa now has a chance to play in the World Cup. But they've got to qualify. Right now they are early Qualifying stages have already begun, and Cameroon's doing okay. They're going to have to pick it up a little bit. Basically, at this stage, there are four groups with four teams in each group, and you just have to finish in the top three of your group to advance to the final stage, where it'll be two groups of six, and if you finish in the top two of your group, or you're the better third-place team, those are the five teams that will make it to the World Cup. Your records do carry over, so right now Cameroon has only played three games, has gone one and two, losing to South Sudan and Tunisia. South Sudan, three and zero. Rwanda is the fourth place team in the group. Again, advancing to the next stage looks like it's well within range for Cameroon, but they're going to have to improve their record because, again, your record carries over from the first stage to the second stage because it's the same teams. The good news is, and yes, now that I have a vested interest in Cameroon, I have looked at this, the group that it is in 
will be combined with Group D, which does not have a 3-0 and team. It has three 2-1 and teams. So basically the record is only a game worse than the teams that they'll ultimately be competing with for what we hope is for Cameroon, one of the five spots in the World Cup out of the African nations. Their next game is coming up against Tunisia, the team that edged them previously. That is going to be this Friday. My gosh, it's July the 1st on Friday as we are flipping through the summer months pretty quickly. And they'll play the three teams in their group basically on three straight days. That'll be the end of the first round of qualifying. Again, I imagine that Cameroon will be playing in the final round, but trying to get a couple more wins at least this weekend, really, before moving on. Best of luck to Russ Chiwa. Wow, what an honor, regardless if they advance. Pretty cool that he is on his nation's team. Thanks for stopping by the Unlimited Unloaded page. So I mentioned when we get to the conference proceedings here shortly, we'll talk about what the ACC announced yesterday with the football scheduling. Again, with 14 teams coming to the American, well, there are multiple possibilities, which we will discuss in the conference show. We will tell you that according to a website, the Bulls opener this year is the returning production bowl. As Bill Connolly, who does college football rankings for ESPN, and this is something that any of us could have done, but just didn't have the time. Basically, as far as a percentage of your production that returns from last year, well, the top two teams in the country happen to be tied for first at 85%, USF and BYU, the teams that are playing each other at Raymond James Stadium. Just underneath them, several teams on 84%, TCU, Kansas, Southern Miss, and Bowling Green who is worse off in the conference from that perspective. If you're wondering, that would be Navy, 108 out of 131. And in last place, and if you've been following their coaching situation at all, this makes complete sense, Hawaii. But the Bulls and BYU tied for first with the most production coming back. Looking forward to that and definitely looking forward to who's going to be the starting quarterback. I'm not going to make any predictions, although it is interesting, and I retweeted this last week. Another service basically put out a good breakdown of the Bulls, very positive, and listed a lot of players by name, specifically offensive line, said Antonio Greer's going to be a future pro, said how the secondary has gone from being ravaged by injuries to being maybe the deepest position on the team. And of all the names it mentions, one of them was not Timmy McLean. So is it nationally viewed upon as Gary Bohannon coming in from Baylor is the starting quarterback? Maybe, at least by one person, but something tells me that's not being given just yet. Looking forward to getting more intel from the football team here soon. And yes, I'm going to try and get B.J. Daniels before the end of the week, in other words, for Friday's show, interviewed. No longer part of the football staff, part of the Bulls club staff, but I'm going to guess he might have some things to say still about the football team in addition to his new job. Yeah, this is pretty cool. The American Athletic Conference, with all the sports that the league sponsors, you could have, of course, the top 16 plays just in any sport. So to narrow it down to over all the sports and to have just one play in that final 16, it's going to be a special moment. Well, two USF plays are among the 16 finalists. It's a bracket, and it's a Twitter poll. The fans vote on this, so who knows who's going to actually advance to the top play of the year, but the fact that the Bulls were selected by the conference as having two of the plays is pretty cool. And here are the two plays. Oh, yeah, we had them for you on USF Bulls Unlimited. The center with Lash Mary. About 40 from goal. Good pass up to Leah. Nice touch. Thinks about a shot. Instead switches the field to the Blick. Hop of a gather, but can she get the cross in? Right to an SMU player. Now Leah with the ball. Puts it on her right foot. 
Sydney Nicello, top of the box, spins around, has no shot. Or is she going to try when she does? Spins in! I stand corrected! She didn't have a shot initially, but Nicello pushed it out. One more dribble. It opened up, and a magnificent curler of a goal puts the Bulls on top. Sydney Nicello doing Sydney Nicello things. There were three Mustangs pushing her away from goal and thinking there's no way she's gonna shoot it. And all she did was decide to go towards the top of the box, still about 25 yards away, and go upper left with it. She had the keeper leaning to her left, opening up that corner, but that doesn't mean it was an easy strike. Sydney Nicello has truly produced some masterful goals. Ball stroke to right field. Looks like it could be out of here. Going back on it, and oh my goodness! Mayo goes over the wall! Did he catch it? Is he okay? Folks, this is unbelievable. Are they gonna say he caught the ball? No one has signaled. He tumbled backwards over the wall. I couldn't even tell you who was swinging the bat, Noah Orlando. And the UCF fans are applauding. That shows you how impressive that was. The second base umpire is gonna come in and discuss here. And I tell you what, they're gonna have to look at it on review. Mayo caught the ball. I mean, folks, this was unbelievable. Backwards, tumbling over the wall. And you can see a fan point saying he caught it. He caught it. That was incredible. And again, the conference completely agreed as really it, it's a pretty cool bracket. We'll run it all down for you on Around the American. But we'll tell you, Jackson Mayo will be going up against an inside-the-park home run from Wichita State softball standout, Addison Barnard, and Sidney Nacello on the other side of the bracket. So you could have the two USF Moments meet up in the final. She's going up against Damian Dunn from Temple's buzzer beater against East Carolina where he had just an incredible game. And I'll tell you, if you follow me on Twitter, you already know which play I think is going to be tough to beat just for everything that went into it. But again, two USF plays are in that group. Got to mention this. You know that they pledged a big $5 million gift to support the on-campus stadium. Carol and Frank Morsani are incredible. They have also recently pledged another $7 million to benefit students and others within the university. Specifically, they'll endow the Morsani Scholars, which will offer scholarships to USF students, create an endowed chair in geriatrics, and a directorship and professorship focused on ethical leadership in business. Head to usf.edu for more information on that. Said we'd have an update for you on Erica Smith, who we spoke to over the weekend after a recent tour stop. Now she is in Wichita, Kansas after one round at that event, the Heritage Classic. Erica Smith in the running, tied for eighth at two under par. All of these are 72-hole events. First round leader, five shots ahead. That'd be Mario Galdiano. That's the player who kind of gave up the lead against Smith two weekends ago, bounced back to win last week, and is the tour leader. But Erica Smith is right behind her in the tour standings and has a chance to get some big-time exemptions trying to further along her professional career. Other notes? Oh, yeah, we said we 
dug up some other moments listening back to some old audio. You might have heard me reference this play. You might have seen me on Twitter reference this play. I know it was going back and forth in a nice way with a national college basketball sort during the NCAA tournament who was basically harping on an official's call and how it hurt a team and how you cannot have a worse case of an official taking away a team's advancing. And I was like, 2012 USF would disagree with you. And he kind of laughed back like, yeah, right. But then I explained the play and he goes, okay, do you know how close the Bulls were to advancing to the Sweet 16 the last time they made the NCAA tournament? Real close. But an official decided to take control of that. And Jim Lighthall and Todd Callis had forgotten how perfectly accurate they described the importance and the harm of that moment. What should have been a big-time moment in USF history turned into the ref show and, well, turned the game around, unfortunately. But I thought the broadcasters were great. Rebound USF and Collins on the far left wing. Dribbles between the defenders. Backdoor lob. Juwanza Poland catches and dunks. What a great catch to catch that and get it down. Third. They're calling a technical? For what? See, that was a bad call because Jawanza had to do a great job catching that pass. He, he was he had a line drive pass that he had to catch, and he came off pretty quickly. I can't believe that's a technical. Oh, my gosh. Tony Green is the official that made the call, Todd. We've seen him a lot this year in the Big East. I can't believe that call. Big call in this game. So with 9.23 left, Jawanza ends up picking up the personal foul and the technical there. That's his first. This kid at the line, Kellogg, never misses either. Stroked them both. That's ridiculous. Amen. Started a 17-4 Ohio U run. The Bulls went from up six on the dunk to the next time they had the ball. It was a one-point game, and their momentum was stripped. And then Ohio U... In the Sweet 16, you may or may not recall, played the number one seed, North Carolina, and took them to overtime. So, yeah, the Bulls, what could have been? But, yes, not just those type of moments that turn games in the other direction, but some great ones. We'll probably use our second channel, Bulls Unlimited, too. Again, it's not being populated with constant programming. We can tell you that always on Bulls Unlimited, too, you can hear the fight song and some cool past highlights. But we're going to only make it live, so to speak, consistently when we have a game to carry and that's the main reason it's still going to exist but I'm going to start to put up more of these old games that you might have just forgotten about Uh, I had forgotten that the women's soccer team for example had to sort of reschedule a game as they had a couple teams drop out on them I remember uh, the 2018 season when Ohio State wanted to get home ahead of a possible weather event And the Bulls were stuck without a game for two weeks, so they added Florida College, and, uh, well, they put up an 11 spot. So games like that that we wouldn't really have a pressing reason, per se, to replay them on the main channel, but I think we're going to start to do that on Bulls Unlimited, too. And we're talking about, I'll even go back to the first season of baseball where you know that they made the NCAA tournament, but, man, do they have some thrilling wins in there, including uh, one against the Florida Gators. So just... Keep an eye on our Twitter page, at Bulls Unlimited. We'll start to pop some games that haven't been aired in a long time, but have been part of our five-year history of bringing action to you here on USF Bulls Unlimited. And definitely trying to bring back some classic football. Unfortunately, some of the early years recordings were either a little bit shaky or incomplete. And I actually was listening back to some of the Auburn win 
in 2007, and it's just, it's never not dramatic. But as Jim Lauk was talking, as they were headed to overtime about their success in overtime, they had never lost, and how in 2003, and believe me, I'd forgotten this, in 2003, they were 3-0, and all in double overtime, all in a span of about a month. So I'm like, well, <laughs> let's go find some of those games, hopefully, from back in 2003. And we do have in our archives, and again, this is why I've been sort of trying to hone the audio archives, make sure everything's organized. It was pretty well organized to begin with, but some of the recent years, especially the first years of Bulls Unlimited, maybe not as much. So 2003, there it is, the three games that they won in double overtime, but it was just partials in a couple of cases, including the part of the game that didn't include the overtime. So the one that we do have was kind of the least exciting. It was against Cincinnati, where it was field goals on pretty much every possession in the overtime. The wild one was against East Carolina, where the Bulls led the game 21-0, blew the lead, but still won in overtime. All we have is the 21 nothing part, not the blowing of the lead in the overtime. So trying to find some stuff and present it to you on the channel. Hey, we'll definitely have some more play-by-play in the spring of 2023 with women's lacrosse. Surely we'll be doing those games for you on the channel. Mindy McCord, the head coach, is on the recruiting trail. By the way, pretty much everybody I checked in with, Bob Butehorn of men's soccer, wanted to talk to the two, of course, new assistant coaches, and actually they've added a third director of player ops. But everyone's on the road this week, so it's been tough. I wanted to talk to Jolene Shepardson for the show about the schedule release, and everything's basically going to have to wait a week as far as current coaches and interviews for the show, but that's for a good reason. They're on the road recruiting. The new Jacksonville coach was announced yesterday with Minnie McCord, the person who started up that program, leaving Tara Singleton, who has been at Johns Hopkins, a national power as an assistant, and who was an All-American player at Loyola of Maryland, is now the new JU head coach. Also wanted to say congratulations, as we hinted at earlier, to Saeed Hernandez, who Checked in more than anybody at the USF various sporting events. He wins the 2021 Ford Mustang car. Pretty cool story on that on GoUSFBulls.com. The director of operations for men's soccer, by the way, is Etzel Gonzalez. He was a performance analyst for the Oklahoma Sooners women's soccer program over the last few years, so I'm sure we'll run into him very soon as the soccer seasons will be the first ones that we broadcast for you as usually exhibition matches take place in mid-August. I was glancing at the roster, speaking of going back through some audio, and if you go to the Unlimited Unloaded page and you go towards the middle of our top men's soccer moments, I threw in a Stetson goal. Why did I do that? because the player who scored it is now on the USF Bulls roster. That's a former Tampa Catholic player, Ashmere Spengler. So getting ready for soccer and volleyball and, of course, football coming up and keeping you informed about everything that's happening here. We are all about the University of South Florida, but let's get you up to speed on the rest of the American Athletic Conference. This is Around the American with your host, Derek Sharp. Well, part of what we told you on Bulls Beat will wrap up here as the American, I think this is great, put out a bracket, and this will be something they put out on Twitter. You can follow along and vote for your play each round. What will end up being the play of the year? You already heard the matchups that USF is going up against, if you will. I think it's got to be Jariah Horn's half-court buzzer beater for the Tulsa men's basketball team against UCF on senior day with his dad in the stands. It was incredibly dramatic, but it goes up against the Desmond Ritter touchdown catch, and you know the one Cincinnati football play that gets in this bracket. Well, 
probably end up beating my favorite to win the whole thing. Also, Arsula Clark for Tulane forcing overtime with a wild shot where she was falling down. By the way, she likes to fall down when she's shooting the ball to begin with, but at least she did it to force overtime in that case, going up against a big-time goal for Tulsa men's soccer, Alex Meinhardt, who was the conference player of the year to beat SMU. Bryson Whirl, this is the one that was against the Bulls, that amazing defensive play. Another 2-2 to Bozer, fly ball right field. This should be deep enough to score the run. It's Whirl, the center fielder, makes the catch. Here comes Prodell, terrific throw, and he got him. Oh, my goodness, what a great throw by Bryson Whirl from deep center field. He hit Ben Newton, the catcher, on the fly. And out at home plate is Brodell. 99 times out of 100. That ball by Bozer is deep enough to score the run. This time it's a double play. That was after the Bulls had gotten their stunning grand slam by Nelson Rivera and looked like they were going to make it 5-3 to three in the conference tournament first round. Some great plays on there. Remember the crazy fact that the UCF women's basketball team only lost one game, and it was to the last place team. Well, that was Cincinnati's Akira Levy hitting a three near the buzzer to stun the Knights. Well, that one has to go up against Marcus Jones, 100-yard kickoff return for Houston against SMU in that amazing game. So a lot of tough calls and a lot of great plays. And you can go to the Twitter page at American underscore Conf to check them out. In fact, as I am recording this, they just put up the Levy versus Jones shot and kickoff return so we anticipate the conference at some point addressing the future football schedule when you go from 11 teams to 14 teams yes you lose three but you pick up six something's going to have to happen you can't play 13 conference opponents will it be a divisional alignment like they've done in i don't know leagues like the acc and the sec and the big 10 or will it just be a 14 team league and you have some sort of structure Well, I would say go to the ACC.com. They have announced their football scheduling model starting for next year, 2023, and for the next four years. And I think this is something that the American could and maybe should go with because you have so many teams all over the place. The ACC has announced a 3-5-5 structure. In other words, you play three schools every year as part of your eight games and then basically alternate the other 10, five one year, the other five the next year, and of course you go home and away every other time you play those schools. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Of course, it allows you to ensure teams that are close in geography to place, naturally Florida State and Miami, are in each other's three, if you will. Florida State's others are Clemson and Syracuse. Eh, That's the only strange part about it. You're probably going to get that stray in there. Miami's happens to be Boston College along with Louisville. Miami Boston College has the Doug Flutie thing, but I think the kids these days don't go with that. But I really do think it's a unique, interesting, and frankly with the ACC, kind of like the American, maybe a little bit less so teams scattered about so much, it really does make all the sense in the world because if you have the American split into two divisions of seven each, you're still going to have some schools that are pretty far away on your schedule every year. In this case, a lot more alternating going on while keeping the schools that are close to you geographically on your schedule every year. I think a fan replied to me on Twitter this morning, makes all the sense in the world. Tulane, UAB, and FAU. That would be three that I think Bulls fans wouldn't mind facing every year. And it guarantees a trip to New Orleans every two years. And then every other city in the conference, you would know you'd hit up 
every four years. So if we hear anything along those lines, what could be coming down the road, we will let you know right here on the conference show. That's going to wrap it up for the Wednesday version of Around the American. Thanks for checking it out.